If you are a guest here today, again, we thank you for being here. I want you to know that we do not always talk about money. <laughs> if you've come into uh, today and, and you're going to hear what you hear, you think, my goodness, is that all that church talks about? We take one month, which is usually the month of February, and we talk about giving for missions and uh, we emphasize stewardship is what we do. And, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we introduced something called the 2020 vision, and that is a vision that includes a new sanctuary, the remodeling of this sanctuary into a children's center so that we can do away with rented modulars all by early in the year 2020. So you're going to hear a little bit about some principles today uh, that go along with that. So if you, again, if you're a guest, um, don't be turned away by that. I, you know, as I got up here to preach, I was reminded of something that happened. Let me share this with you real quick, if you don't mind. You don't mind, do you? <laughs> I actually had a request to preach longer today. That's never happened. <laughs> Over 30 years of pastoring, nobody's ever come to me and said, Pastor, preach longer today. We let you out a little early last week, and some of you had 12, 15 appointments, and you didn't know what to do with yourself. That appointment was for the 2020 meeting. Earlier in the week, uh, we were discussing the order of service and all that we're doing at the church. And I said, you know, I said the old hymn books. Remember the old hymn books? Some of you old enough to remember that? Yeah. Old hymn books. In the back of the old hymnal, you had like categories. You wanted to look up a song about faith. Why? Well, I had a whole list of them. Wanted to look up a song about prayer. Whole list of them. Well, in today's contemporary world, I had asked the question, is there such a reference? So our youth pastor, DJ, came to me and he pushed a button and, look, he said, there's, there is a, there's an app that does it. There's an app for everything. Amen? <laughs> an app for everything. There's an app that does this and it categorizes. And he said, but, he said, look, he said, there's all these songs under prayer and all these songs under faith. One song about giving. And he said this to me. He said, it appears people are afraid to sing about giving. <laughs> I think it's a subject everybody's afraid of. They don't, don't want to hear it, don't want to talk about it. Now, if you've already matured in your faith to the point that that doesn't bother you and you're able to do like this great church does, applaud when it's offering time, which by the way, it blows me away every time we do that. It just does. And if you're a, a, a guest here and you saw that a minute ago, you're thinking, what is going on here? It's very unique. I don't know of another church that does it. But God does tell us to be cheerful givers. And I love the fact that we do what we do. But today's message is going to focus in on a guy named Cain. Now you're familiar with the story. But I think through the Lord's help, we can learn some things, although it is a familiar story out of Genesis chapter 4. And I want to call this message, Being on the Level. Being on the Level. And the reason for that title, I will explain to you and then I'll pray with you. The term on the level is an old idiom that goes way back to the 1800s. And it was actually used by people who were laying brick, by the Masons, who would use a carpenter's level to show that a wall was true. It was honest. It was built with integrity. What happens with Cain is, if you'll give me the liberty to do this with you, it's as though God is saying, look man, you've gotten upset about this offering not being accepted, but if you were on the level, this thing would have been all right. There's something wrong in Cain's heart, and it shows in Cain's offering and a little later in the action that we all know about, which was, of course, he killed his brother. Somebody asked the question once, I guess this is a tweetable joke, I don't know. Uh, how long did Cain hate Abel? Uh, well, as long as he was able. Yeah. Yeah, that's not very good, I know. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we love you. And we pray, God, as we approach this subject today, that you will just enlighten our minds and hearts. God, we believe that you have a message for us, Lord, and you've got a mission for us. And God, as I viewed this 
city in the pictures and the song. God, I was reminded, I, I was born and raised here, God. I, I love this place. And I know you love this place. And what we're doing, God, is just a drop in the bucket of what can be done here. And I pray, God, you'd help us, Lord. Give us a vision for reaching East Arlington, but give us a vision for reaching all of Jacksonville. Lord, use us and bless us and speak to us today. We pray your healing hand on Pastor T and Pastor Josh, Lord, and, and your reprieve of all of these trials and tribulations that your people are going through, Lord. We ask for your blessings to be poured out, your protection on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter four, look there with me, beginning in verse number one. If you have your Bible with you now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Now let me pause a moment. There are a lot of things that are assumed, and I, I'm going to liken this to, if you'll permit me, we're going to take a while to set up the sail, and then we're going to breeze through the main points, okay? So give me a little bit of time to talk about this, because we have some assumptions that are not necessarily correct. One of those assumptions is that Cain is, without a doubt, the firstborn of Adam and Eve. We do not know that. As a matter of fact, it does not appear that he is. Because later in the text, he is worried about everyone else doing something to him. And he goes to the land of Nod, where a lot of people go on Sunday morning. <laughs> he went to the land, some of you get it later, Nod, you know, like Nod, okay. So there are other people by this time. We also uh, make the assumption that this is the very first murder that's ever taken place. We don't know that. It doesn't say it's the first murder. It doesn't say that. There are a few things that we, we uh, assume that are not necessarily accurate. You might ask the question, I'll get a little bit ahead of myself here, but you might ask the question then, Pastor, why is that here? Because the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It is the book of firsts. But what you have to remember is, Abel was the ancestor from whose seed the Messiah would come. Right? This story is about Jesus. It's not about Cain and Abel. It's about how the devil tries to keep the Messiah from becoming the Messiah. You say, how do you know that? Well, God gave him another son in the place of Abel whose name was Seth. And you can study over in the Gospel of Luke, Seth's name appears in the lineage. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying that we need not make assumptions. The reason this is in the text is not because it's the first child, not because it's the first murder, not because... Now, it could be a, a number of things, but there is no, there's no evidence of it in the text. What it is, is it shows the death of the one from whom the seed of the Messiah would come. So the Bible tells us that they both came in the process of time. Some scholars have said that that phrase in the process of time could mean that it was the Sabbath day. Remember God had set them up and taught them that they were to work six days a week and then take the seventh day off. And so it's possible that this was the case. I, I want to draw your attention to this though, just again in the way of setting up the sail, uh, building the porch or introduction or whatever you want to call it. I want to draw your attention to this, that they give an offering but the offerings were not outlined or established the way that the Old Testament explains them until later in the book of Leviticus. So where did they learn to give the offering? Well, they obviously learned it from dad and from mom. They learned it from them, watching the household, giving this offering before God. And so uh, when we think about this, we need to understand 
there, uh, there is uh, uh, a difference here in the offerings and what later would become known as the burnt offering or the sin offering or uh, the meal offering, uh, the grain offering that is also called. So it is entirely possible that Abel's offering being of blood sacrifice and Cain's offering being of the fruit of the ground might have both been received as a thanksgiving type offering, a meal offering which allows for the grain to be offered. But the Bible does not use any reference such as first fruit or of the first harvest. None of that is used concerning Cain's offering. The firstlings is a term that is used about Abel's offering of the firstborn of his flock, which shows priority. All right, so let's do this. Um, let's keep reading. Verse number four, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Let me pause a moment. Did you catch what I just read? He did not respect Cain and his offering. Most of the time when we look at this text, we say, God just rejected the offering. No, no. He rejected Cain and the offering. So there's something a lot more to this. But now, look, look at what happens. Okay, uh, verse number five. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now here's another first for you. This is the first time it's recorded in the word of God. That someone is angry with God over something he has said or something he has done. Now being angry with God is not something that you and I are uh, unfamiliar with in the world that we live in. I run into people quite often who are angry with God. Some of them like to say things like, well if God is a God like you say he is and he can do anything, then why do people suffer from cancer? Why are there hungry children in the world? Why is there abuse? Why is there, and they've got all of these reasons that actually point back to the fact that we live in a fallen world, in a sin-riddled world. We live in a world that is unredeemed, but they don't see that. They just see if what you say about God, that he's a loving God and an all-powerful God, why doesn't he clean all that mess up? And so they get angry with God. In reality, sometimes, and I want you to hold on to this thought, sometimes when we are not happy about ourselves, we get angry with God. So I want to ask you this question again in the way of introduction for just a moment. Bear with me. What does it take to irritate you? Huh? Think, think for a moment. Now, don't answer it out loud. Just think about it. What gets under your skin? Is it that hypocrisy? You just simply don't like... Listen, there are people all around us right now, some of them your friends, maybe some of them your family members, and they will not come to church with you because somewhere they saw somebody that called themselves a Christian behaving like the worst of sinners. And they say, oh, that's all hypocritical stuff. I like what one preacher said many years ago. Many years ago, I heard him preach. He said, look, he said, everything in the sea is not a fish, but every fish is in the sea. <laughs> not everything in the church is what it ought to be, but everybody that's what they're trying to, to be uh, in terms of being right will be in the church. So is it hypocrisy that you can't stand and makes you angry about things? What, what does change make you angry? We don't like change. Or cell phones going off in the service? Does that make you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everybody turn around and look. <laughs> what, what irritates you? What, what aggravates you? You know, it can be something simple. It can be like somebody sitting in your seat. It can be the music's too loud. The lights are too bright. The lights are too dim. The bulletin changed. It can be anything. <laughs> Somebody parked in your parking place. It can be anything. We don't have the nine o'clock worship anymore. It can be anything. 
We haven't updated this and updated that. It can be all kinds of things. And I have found this to be the case. That given the opportunity, the devil will make suggestions to you about what will irritate you. And he will offer all kinds of silly things. And if you're not careful, they will be that grain of sand in your shoe. And it will frustrate you and aggravate you till you just can't take it anymore and you got to share it. Am I right? Tell me if I'm not. Just stand up and point. You ain't right. Sorry, Dr. Judy. She's our English PhD person. I, it's terrible English there. You ain't right. For emphasis only. Parenthesis. I do have some points I want to get to, but before I do, I want to tell you about another guy. Not only, not only Cain has this problem, but remember Jonah? I mean, even after great revival. <laughs> I used to have a staff member years ago who'd say, you know, you complain if I hung you with a new rope. <laughs> you just, Jonah goes in to Nineveh after being somewhat reluctant at first, you know the story. God gives great revival. I mean, revival breaks out. The people repent. God then becomes merciful and gracious and he spares them and he goes outside the town and he's upset. <laughs> it's a crazy story. Jonah chapter 4, verse number 4 says, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. You know, sometimes we get angry, we don't even know why we're angry, and we just get aggravated and frustrated, and it's just the most important thing in the world, and it really pales in comparison to what God is trying to do. A similar thing is said to Cain. Look at it. Uh, Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Now the word countenance, just to let you know, it does talk about facial, it means facial appearance. Why does it appear as though you are angry? Why are you angry and why do you look like it? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, here's an interesting phrase for you. Sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but... You should rule over it. We're going to talk about that phrase in just a minute. But before we do, let's read on. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? By the way, the answer to that question is yes. Some of us think, well, what I do is my own business. I don't care, you know, it... They don't have to do what I do. No, no. As a brother uh, in the Lord and as a sister in the Lord, we should be mindful of whether we're casting stumbling blocks before our brothers and sisters. So he said, where is verse 10? And he said, uh, what have you done? The voice of your brother cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face, uh, from, uh, the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Well, who's he talking about anyone if only he and his brother exist? And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city. The area was known as Nod, but the first city that we read of, at least, that was built was called Enoch after his own son. Now this opens up the age-old question, where did Cain get his wife? You can do some of the math involved if you'd like. I'm not going to go through an equation with you, but 
In essence, the early on, before there was uh, many of the diseases and the, uh, the gene breakdown that we have today, and before God had told man that he would not live any longer than a restricted time, some 70 years would be the average year, uh, the average age of man. Before that happened, man didn't have many of the problems we have today. So they did, and I know this is shocking, but it's true. In the early days, there was intermarriage that went on. It's the only way the earth could have been repopulated. Later, that is forbade, and later we understand that is not to take place. And so uh, what we have in the text, if you begin to look at it, Brothers and sisters, no doubt. Uh, and then we have uh, nephews and nieces and cousins and, and third cousins by that time. And, and it just goes on and on until over a period of years, there were populated areas that began to develop. So this is not a confusing thing. Now, if you are thinking in terms of there is only Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and now there's only Cain, then I see where you have a question as to where Cain got his wife. But if you understand that is not the case and that there is nothing that says Cain is the first child, then uh, you begin to understand better how some of that can be. It makes a lot of sense. Keep in mind that this book is about Jesus Christ. This book is about why we need him, how he came, and that he's coming again. That's what this book is about. And the story we're reading about in Cain and Abel, it's not a story about murder. It's a story about the coming Messiah through the lineage of Abel. And because Abel was killed before he was married and had children, then God raised up another. His name was Seth. And so that's why this story is recorded. But I find this interesting. Can I say this to you? I find it interesting that the anger, the bad attitude, can I say it that way, of Cain, it all centers in around an offering. He'd fit right in in today's culture, wouldn't he? I mean, just think about offering. We talking about money again? I mean, just, you know. We, there's all kinds of preferences. Maybe you've been at a church or you'd prefer that our church not pass an offering basket. And we just have little areas for you to give in the back. There's all kinds of views about it. Ultimately, what it boils down to, may I say this to you, is where your heart is. That's ultimately what it boils down to. So here's what I'd like to do with you for the next few minutes. I want to give you some things that, uh, that we can do to be on the level. To be right before God, honest before God, in our worship. In our worship. And the first thing I want you to do, uh, write it down if you would please, is we should evaluate our level of gratitude. Evaluate our level of gratitude. Just uh, how thankful are we becomes a question that we should somehow answer. Uh, we do live in a day and age where people are unthankful. Uh, to uh, further elaborate this, we call on our friend Tim Hawkins to uh, show you a little bit about that which is unthankful. Can we bring that up? So kids, stop your whining. Stop your whining. There's just nothing to whine about. You got everything you need. I love my children, but not too long ago, I made them a, a breakfast. I made them a full balanced breakfast. It was huge. I made everything for them. It took me like an hour and a half, you know? I wanted to surprise them. So I made the breakfast. I put it all on the table. I wake up, kids, come to the breakfast table. I'm gonna, I made you breakfast. All right. I sit down. I go into my office. Ten seconds later, I hear this. What's wrong? There's pulp in the orange juice. <laughs> pulp, pulp! You got the orange juice with pulp in it! Get it out! Like you get it out, man. I've seen you eat an orange. That's pretty much full pulp. If ever pulp in the milk, then tell me about it. That's not good. It's pretty much cottage cheese. You let daddy know and I'll take care of that. Pulp is like kryptonite to my kids, man. When I want to be alone, I just go in my office, I just put pulp on the doorknob. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> it burns. <laughs> yeah. I took my kids a while back to this uh, par theme park called Six Flags. You ever heard of Six Flags? It's a real fun theme park, man. Took them there for a day. I spent half a grand. <laughs> Half a grand in a day. 
I'm driving home that night, I hear this in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> My sweetheart, what's wrong? Billy's daddy took them to Disney World <laughs> for a week. And we just got to go to Six Flags for a day. <laughs> we hate you. <laughs> sweetheart, look up here at daddy. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. You ever feel like doing that? I have. Like, we got insurance. Let's see what happens. I don't care anymore. I just don't want to hear that. How ungrateful is that, Disney World? Let's make a new theme park for kids. We'll call it Third World. <laughs> Sit them there for a few weeks. See if they don't come back a little more grateful. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's the Third World after all. It's... Daddy, I want a happy meal. He'll be happy to get a meal. <laughs> Daddy, Mickey Mouse. No, that's a giant rat. Get out of here! It's the... Th oh, it's a poison dart. I just got that. <laughs> it's a third world. That's good, yeah. Well, the truth of the matter is we do have a tendency sometimes to be ungrateful, unthankful. So let's evaluate our own life for just a minute and say, you know, what, what is my level of gratitude? Uh, offering is a way that we show thanksgiving. That's what they did. They brought something before God. Now, there are two philosophies or views that they could have and that we could have and that are obviously available to us concerning our possessions. One of those views, if you want to write it down in your notes, is the steward view and the second is called the self-made view. Now the steward view basically says that uh, I know that all that I have comes from God. It's what David understood when he wrote in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse number uh, 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. David said, look, everything I have has come from you, God. And when I give, I just give back what was already yours. Well, then there's that self-made view. And the self-made view basically says, everything I have, I have because I've worked hard for it. And we tend to view, if that's our view, we tend to view giving as resulting in less for me. That view was held by another guy in the Bible by the name of Nabal. By the way, if someone ever says to you, you have the spirit of Nabal, that's not a good thing. <laughs> If they say you have the spirit of Cain, that is not a good thing. And Nabal in 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse number 10, the Bible says, Then Nabal answered David's servant and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? That there are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to the men where I do not know where they are from? So you'd have to remember a little of the background of that story. If it wasn't for David and his men protecting Nabal and his sheep and shearers and the shepherds that he had out there, he wouldn't have anything. It would have been taken from him. So rather than having a heart of gratitude, they, uh, Nabal actually had the opposite. He saw himself. All of it belonged to him. There is a philosophy in our world that basically says, get all you can and can all you get. The Bible actually addresses that issue. I find it interesting in the book of Proverbs, and you'll have many, there are many financial principles in the Word of God. Proverbs 11, and beginning in verse 24, reads this way. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Now, if you have a self-made view, that verse of Scripture makes no sense to you. You don't understand it. Because to distribute means you have less. And yet the Bible says there, there are those who scatter, and it increases. 
It increases. So what we're talking about is a God thing, not just what, what, we, uh, what we can do ourselves. This is an interesting thing when it comes to the offering. And in Matthew uh, chapter 5, by the way, in verse 22, it reads this way, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus may have just given us some insight as to why Cain and his offering was not regarded as being approved while it was not respected. And that is there was something going on within him. And Jesus said in the New Testament, don't hate your brother. He went on to say, if you bring your gift to the altar, that is if you bring God an offering, but you've got problems with your brother, leave your gift alone and go get that thing right and then come back and give your offering. The point is this, that God is more interested in our heart than he is what we're bringing him. If our heart is right, then what we bring will be right. It'll be right. So I want to encourage you to think in terms of your own level of gratitude. Are you a thankful person? Or are you a person that has trouble with that and, and you feel like that um, uh, you'd have what you have if God was not involved in it? By the way, let me talk about this a moment with you. Yes, it is true that Abel's offering was a firstling or a firstborn uh, it was a blood sacrifice and if this was a sin offering if that's why they did what they did if it was a sin offering then Abel's offering would have been received and Cain's would not have however if it was a grain offering or a thanksgiving offering then Cain could have brought of the fruit of the ground he was a farmer that made sense did it not and so maybe they both came let me let me do this Let's give them both credit in that they got together and they went to worship whenever there was time to do so. They came together to worship. That's a good thing, am I right? But there's a problem somewhere in his heart. If it was a meal offering, it still did not come from his first fruits. There's nothing to indicate that at all. So there's a priority issue. We know how he feels about his brother because we've got the whole story. We don't know why he feels exactly like he feels. It, it seems as though the stressor, the thing that puts him over the edge when it comes to killing him, was probably this whole deal about the offering. Maybe some jealousy set in. Maybe uh, uh, envy to the point that he said, you know, this isn't right. He probably felt, and this is a big deal with us even today in our world, he felt like he is mistreated. You ever feel like you were treated unfairly? Is that the irritant in your life? When you feel like somebody has not treated you like you deserve to be treated? Now think about that term for just a minute because that kind of steps all over a thing called pride, doesn't it? No amens, a couple of shaking of the heads. That's okay, don't reveal yourself. That's good. Don't let them, don't let them know. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying that, that typically we feel like we deserve certain things and when we don't get it, it's an irritant for us. Maybe somebody didn't listen to your counsel. Maybe they didn't seek out your counsel. Maybe you didn't have a chance to give your opinion or maybe your opinion was given and it was not followed. And so those can be irritants in our life and, and the devil will offer up those as irritants and say, you know what? You need to be angry. You need to be angry with God. You need to be angry with your brother. Just be unthankful and angry with everybody you can be angry with. You ever met the person that wasn't happy unless they were unhappy? I know they don't come to East Point, but if you meet them, if you meet them out there, ask them to change that before they attend. No, they can come. They can come. Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 1 and 2. This was read to us earlier. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. So the Bible says it's supposed to be willing. We're supposed to have this willing heart. 
And then he goes on and in that text he says in verse number 8, and let them make me a sanctuary. This is an interesting passage to me personally because uh, it wasn't that long ago as I'm reading my Bible just before I read. I usually have my prayer time and then I read early in the morning. And I was talking to the Lord about this whole thing we call the 2020 vision. And I got to tell you, can I just, I'm gonna, I want to be transparent with you. Uh, not to the point that you think your pastor doesn't have faith. I don't want to be that transparent. But I want to be transparent with you and, I, and let you understand. Uh, that particular morning when I got up, I said, you know, Lord, I, I, I'm not sure what, what, happens, what happens when all those cards come in and, and we haven't been praying like we need to pray and we haven't, uh, we haven't uh, got a hold of you about the pledges that we need to do, if, if anything at all. And, and what, what is it, uh, what's going to happen? And are you sure, Lord, that this is what we're, we're doing, that, that's what you want to do. And so I sat down and opened my Bible. This is, the, this is God knows, he knows this is true. And, and I was on, in my Bible reading through the year, I was on Exodus 25. And I read that passage. That's why I asked for that passage to be read today in church because God used that immediately when I sat down and God said, look, here's what you do. Just tell the folks, I want to do something special. I want an offering and those who are willing let them participate. And those who aren't, I'm not too worried about that right now. But those who are willing will participate. And he went on to say, build me a sanctuary. I, I think that's important. I just, I believe that this is what he wants us to do. And he reiterates it over and over again. So I ask you as, as your friend and as your pastor, be in prayer and find out, answer that question of the level of your own gratitude, a thankful heart, and I hope that you'll get there. And there have been times, I gotta tell you, there have been times in my life, again, I wanna be transparent with you, but there have been times in my life I've had to go to God in prayer and say, God, you know, I, I just don't like myself right now. All I'm doing is thinking critical. Will you help me with that? And maybe that ought to be your prayer today. All I'm doing is picking apart stuff. And I don't like picking apart stuff. I don't like how that makes you feel. And, and the devil's great at bringing those things before you and saying that can be improved and that can be improved and that can be. And yeah, that's true. But, but what do we do about it? Well, we got to go to God and say, God, I don't want the spirit of Cain. I don't want the spirit of Nabal. I don't want that kind of spirit. So help me with this. Help me to have a sweet spirit and not a sour spirit. That leads me to the second thing on the list, and that is number two, exercise a new level of grace. Exercise a new level of grace. I have a pastor friend many years ago that said to me, he had a person come to him and, and this person in the church was really struggling over forgiving somebody. And, uh, and so exercising forgiveness was, was a real problem. And so I said, well, what did you tell them? He said, he said, well, I told them that they needed to exercise grace. I said, you did? He said, yeah. And you know what they said to me? I said, no. He said, uh, they said, well, that person doesn't deserve grace. <laughs> now, I want you to think about that a minute because grace is undeserved favor. Yeah. <laughs> that person doesn't deserve grace. You're right. You're probably right. You say, but I've been mistreated. You're probably right. You say, you think there's a better way to do it. You're probably right. You say, if they did it my way, it'd be so much better. You might even be right. But rather than let it get under our skin and cause problems and division and schisms, why not exercise grace? You say, they don't deserve. Well, that's right. Just exercise grace. It's an amazing thing that happens here. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So here, here's what happens. You, uh, you, you're on your way to church and somebody pulls out in front of you and... Uh, you're not too happy. Maybe you let the person know you're not too happy. Hopefully they're not right behind you on the way into East Point. Maybe you let them know. And then you come in and you sing about how much you love God. Well, now let's, let's hold on a minute. Because there may be people in the church. It might even be my wife's husband. Husband. 
that you're angry with and you have a problem with and then you go and you sing before God like you love him. The Bible says, now hold on just a minute. If you've got a problem with people, you've got a problem with God. How can you say that you love God when you have a problem with people? Our horizontal relationship, it affects our vertical relationship. And we have to pay attention to this thing and get that thing right and, and not allow it to fester and cause problems and exercising grace. It is very difficult. Matter of fact, I'll go as far as saying I think it's impossible for you to be upset with somebody at the same time you've exercised grace in them, in their life. I don't think that can be done. I think if you're exercising grace toward them, that covers it, man. You might disagree with them, but there's no ill feelings. There's no critical spirit toward them. There's no lack of forgiveness there. There's nothing building and, 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 and no, no lists that you begin to develop. That ever happened in your life? You got those little file cabinets in the back of your mind. You reach over and you pull out. Oh, that reminds me, by the way, fellas, Valentine's is this week. <laughs> you guys should amen that reminder. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Don't tell your wives that I told you, but it's true. Valentine's this week. Little list back there that you got to take care of. Uh, verses 6 and 7, the, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin lies at the door. Now what does that mean? It's a great verse. I got to tell you, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach on that verse. Maybe they have. Maybe you've heard it before. I looked at that and I said to myself, you know, God, what are you saying here? What is this all about? Sin lies at the door. Let me tell you what I believe it means after studying it through. God said, don't you understand? When you have an opportunity to obey my word, you also have an opportunity to not obey it. When you have an opportunity to show a heart of gratitude, you also have an opportunity to express the opposite thereof. When you have a chance to bring an offering and say, God, I love you, you also have an opportunity to not do it or to allow malice into your heart and into your life. What it's saying is with every opportunity you have to serve God, you have an opportunity to sin. Adam and Eve could have brought great pleasure to God in obeying his word but they decided instead to reach over and take of the fruit that they were not supposed to take. You say, what are you getting at? As they had opportunity to obey, they also had an opportunity to disobey. And as we serve the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, we have a chance to obey. We have a chance to ask him what he wants us to do. We have a chance to show our gratitude. But with that comes the opportunity to do that, which is not right. If we're not careful, we'll develop selfishness in our heart and we'll develop that malice, like I said earlier. And rather than exercising grace, we will harbor ill thoughts and a critical spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one, that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. This is a very interesting verse. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, a critical spirit is fertile ground for the devices of the devil. He can really do something with that, man. He can really grow some stuff. He can grow some problems and divisions and schisms. And if, if he can get into that critical nature that's there, if he can tap into that, he'll do all kinds of stuff. And you know what Paul told the church in Corinth? Hey, practice forgiveness. Practice this thing so that you don't allow the devil the opportunity that he has. Why? It's what God said way back to Cain. Sin lies at the door. And if you'll open that door, it'll come on in. So don't open it. Don't open it. Don't allow it to be opened. 
Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, reads this way, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. This is an interesting passage because uh, Peter is, is being described as, as one that Satan is after. Can I, can I say this to you? And I say this hopefully as a sobering thought, but yet I know many of you already know it. But the devil is after you. And he wants to sift you just like he wanted to sift Peter. That is, he wants to rip you apart. He's after the church. He wants to take and sift. The sifter divides. It separates. And, and what better way to do that than if you enter into a building program? What better way to do that than if you start squabbling over little things? And, and before too long now, it's, it's grown into some major issues and major problems. And instead of forgiveness and grace being an outpouring, we can, if we're not careful, we allow that critical nature to take over. And the devil can use that like nothing, man. Just like God can use the unity, the devil can use the division and the critical spirit. Be sober, be vigilant. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, Peter said, the God of all grace, who called us unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You want to know something? Uh, if, if I stay focused on the glory of God, I don't have a lot of time to worry about a lot of other stuff. Amen. Everything else tends to just fade. Does what we do have anything to do with the glory of God? Yeah, it does. It has to do with ways to reach more families and tell them about Jesus. It has to do with reaching people so that the children can grow and understand who Jesus is. It has to do with, with having an opportunity to have corporate worship in a larger setting. And, and I don't know if you can tell or not, but we, we've outgrown the building that we're in on an average day, so to speak, an average Sunday with, with people who are still not able to be with us because of illness this time of year. And, and we've got to do something about uh, being... Uh, available to the growth that God wants to send. So I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that we need not underestimate the fact that the devil wants to divide while God wants to unite. Beware of that sour spirit. Philippians 2 and verse 14 says this, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh my goodness. Is that really what that said? Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, I don't know, I don't know what would happen if we took our complaints, whatever they may be, if we took our complaints and we went out to somebody that doesn't go to our church and we said, let me share this with you. Let me tell you what I'm upset about. How does that really land does it have anything to do with the glory of God or does it really pale in comparison if we stop and think about we're supposed to be after providing him glory in all that we do and everything we do and you may not know this but there are reasons for what we do as a church there are reasons right down to the songs that are picked to the lighting to the bulletin to everything there are reasons and we don't always see those reasons but if we're not careful we just simply say you know I just don't like that I don't like that the more gracious we are the less critical we will be and then last of all let me give you this point number three experience a new level of growth experience a new level of growth I, I, want to, uh, I want to say this to you, and I, I, always, I want to be mindful that um, we have a uh, great variety of 
spiritual maturity in our church. We have some who have only been saved a short while. We have others who have been saved a long time. In every congregation, particularly one this size, in every congregation, particularly in, in one this size, there are people who are growing and there are people who have stopped growing. If I can motivate you, I hope to. But what really has to happen is the Holy Spirit has to motivate you. You have to listen to him. Because some of us have been stagnant in our growth far too long. We've been going through the motions. It's time to make an offering, so you make an offering. It's time to be in Sunday school or ABF or whatever else you call it. So you're there. It's time to be there and that's what you do. But growing to the next level, we have not done, some of us, for a very long time. So I challenge you. Because God does not look upon the outward. He looks on the inside. It appears that we're all spiritually mature and growing like crazy and everything, but God sees what's on the inside. If you looked at who came to worship, 100% were there. That is, Cain and Abel came. Cain didn't stay home. He came. But his heart wasn't right. And look at what happened as a result of his heart not being right. I beg you to grow. I beg you to always grow. I, I said to somebody the other day, I, I, and I truly believe, that I, I, tr I want this. I really do want this. If it doesn't, if it doesn't um, actually happen, I hope you'll come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't see that in you. I, I am forever a student. I'm learning from you. I'm learning from our staff. I'm learning from the kids. I, I'm learning from everybody. There are things I can learn. Now, maybe those things are what not to do, or maybe those things are what to do, but I am forever a student. And if you are forever a student of the book, if you are ever a student of God, if you are ever a follower of his, there is no finishing the course until we get to heaven. There's no, I've reached the top level. There is none of that. We just keep on growing. And we need to get to that next place in our life. And I'm talking about personally. Getting there corporately will happen as we get there personally. So experience growth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand... Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge. Grow in grace and knowledge. Do you know more about him and his word now than you knew last week, last year, last month, ever before? Nah, maybe it's the same as it's been now for years. I can assure you that the depths of this book reach fathoms that none of us in this building have ever gotten close to. It's a lot deeper than most of us will ever go. We will never learn all of it. It's always a time to grow. If, if we're looking for an attitude that might describe us, I, I would have to say it would come from John 3. But before I read that verse, I'd like to read to you an attitude that I hope never describes us. It's found in 1 Corinthians 3. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Corinth. And by the way, um, I, I'm glad we have the name East Point. I've actually seen signs that said Corinth Baptist Church and Corinth Church. Have you seen those? I'm thinking, man, have you ever read your Bible? <laughs> Nobody wants, I've never seen a layout of C in church though, just in case. But anyway, just. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual people, but as unto carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. But let that not be us. My goodness, what, a, what an indictment. 
for a body of people to say, you know, there's some things God wants to share with you, but he can't do it. Because as a baby, you don't take, I just had my first grandson and, and you know, and, and I'm all excited about that. Uh, and the little guy, he, he, uh, he, one day he will grow up and appreciate a steak. <laughs> but right now all he can have is milk. You can't feed him a steak. He'd choke to death. He'd starve to death. And what I'm saying to you is this. Can you handle anything more than milk? I hope you can because this church couldn't. And Paul said there's a problem here. And the problem is uh, there's, there's some, some carnality. I fed you with milk and not with meat. You're not able to receive it and now you're still not able. Verse 3, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Let me pause a moment. A critical spirit that causes division is not of the Lord. It's an act of the flesh. It's not what God's people who are seeking spiritual maturity do. We need not try to blame God for that and somehow say, you know, I am the way I am because God can use this and God, no, 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 the devil uses it more than God uses it. What God uses is a gracious spirit and a grace-filled life and a graceful heart. Not that you don't have some great ideas. I'm sure you do. And we need to all learn to do those things. But here was the problem in Corinth, verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is of Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Can I stop for a moment and tell you what God showed me out of this verse? And, and I know some of you psych majors may not like this, but this is what he said. You're nothing, man. And I know that. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God who gives the increase. We're missing the picture. It's not about us. It's about him. John the baptizer, he had it down. John 3 and verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Wow. What happens in a church body when everybody lives by that motto he must increase but I must decrease it's not about us let's pray Father we come to you today Lord and we ask you to bless Lord we thank you for the story we thank you for what we can learn from it and God, I pray that our, our hearts would be in tune with you. That we would examine and evaluate our own level of gratitude. That we would exercise grace. Lord, maybe that's our prayer today. God, just help us to be people who exercise grace. Maybe, Lord, we just need to commit to growing. Maybe we need to stop and realize that it's been a long time since some of us have really grown, that we've stepped out and trusted you, taking things to the next level. So God, we pray. As you look on us, Lord, we know you see the heart. So we pray for the heart of your people today. And God, you know that in my prayer before I came up to preach, I asked you to give me the proper spirit. Lord, maybe I've said something that's aggravated somebody today. Maybe the devil will try to use that. So God, I ask that they be full of grace and throw a little my way. My heart's desire, as you all know, God, is that we as a church might bring glory to you. So bless us now. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the invitation is open. Would you stand with me, please, while you have your heads bowed?
If you have a need you'd like to pray over, something you'd like to pray about, I'd encourage you to pray for the 2020 vision. I'd encourage you to have that at the top of your list, that God would do a work in us, that he might do a work through us. Maybe you've got other matters you need to pray over. Maybe you have a friend, a family member. Maybe you have some people in your heart and your mind that are sick and you want to lift them up to the Lord at the altar. Whatever it is, you just come and pray. If you're here today without Jesus as your Savior, we want you to know that he loves you. We want you to know that God sent his only son to die on the cross for you. And we'd love the opportunity to show you how to be born again. If that's a need that you have, let us know when you come. We'll talk with you about that and show you from the Bible how you can be saved. May God bless you. As we sing, you come.